Welcome back to Korea Lesson. My name is Anna, and my mission is to help you learn from the best industry professionals so you can have a thriving career, business, or side hustle. With that, I am thrilled to announce our guest speaker today is Shivendu Natkarni, who is the seasoned FMCG industry professional with a 25-year track record of business leadership across multiple markets and a wide variety of cultures. In his last operating role, she was a vice president of the Kellogg Snack business across the Asia-Africa region. He oversaw doubling of the business with a sustained six-year phase of growth acceleration and margin expansion after the successful Asia-Africa-wide integration of Pringles into Kellex. Before Kellex, Shiv built a successful 15-plus-year career with Procter & Gamble. Shiv has a number of roles and acts as an advisor for Singapore-based SMEs and startups. He's a founder of 10X Mezzo, corporate advisor in the agri-food sustainability domain at Temasek International Enterprise Development Group, adjunct associate professor at NUS Business School's Department of Strategy and Policy, partner at Trinity Brand Group, and innovation advisor at IPI Singapore. Shiv, I am so thrilled to have you as a guest today. I remember we were doing uh, LinkedIn Live with Eric Sim a couple of weeks ago on Career Pivots, and I got very fascinated by your story, about your journey. So would love to hear a bit more about it. So what was your very first role and how did you actually get there? And of course, it would be great if you could also tell us a bit about what you do now. First of all, thank you for having me here, Anna. It's lovely to be here and share whatever little insights and learnings I've had from my own career journey. It's lovely to share and give back, and that's sort of been my theme since I had my career pivot. But what you've reminded me is of my first year back in business school where my career journey started. And uh, I was part of a very large group of people who came in. In fact, the, the batch, if I remember correctly, was about 50% bigger than all the past batches. And, you know, you're surrounded by all these people and you feel like you're never going to measure up. They're all better than you. That's how it felt. Yeah. And the first company that was coming to recruit for summer internships, you sit in this room full of 300 people and go, ah, there's no chance, absolutely no chance I'm going to make it. I guess I got lucky and I was one of the two people picked. And that's how my journey started. And it was actually one of the first lessons, which is never underestimate yourself, that I learned very early in my career journey. So I spent 25 years, uh, about 25 years in fast-moving consumer goods in the region here. So I'm based in Singapore now, but worked across Asia, Middle East and Africa. I started my career in India, but then very early on, was moved to Japan and was very blessed with the opportunity to move to a very different culture. We went there thinking we'll spend two or three years. We ended up spending 10. Our daughter was born there and it was just a lovely life-changing experience. Then moved back for a couple of years to India and then moved to Singapore more than almost 12 years ago. And this is now home for us. Thank you so much for sharing. And you mentioned luck. That's very interesting. Do you think in our success in life, luck plays a big role or it's more our dedication, our hard work, our passion that help us to achieve our goals or sort of hand in it as well? I think that's a great point you bring up. And I, I would say everybody's recipe for success is different. 
equally your own recipe for success changes over time yeah but what i can tell you when i look back and you know i coach quite a few people on their careers is no matter what your own recipe is there is always a portion of it which is what you put in which is hard work passion skills etc but there is also an equal amount and sometimes it's equal sometimes it's 80 20 of what comes from outside and more often than not we don't give it credit so luck being at the right place at the right time having advocates who support you having a great environment and colleague and i think the faster we understand that there's only so much that you control in the recipe and there's always going to be a certain amount of stuff that you ride off i think things become much easier to navigate because otherwise we kid ourselves to say it's all up to us so you you do your best you put in everything that you can from your end of the recipe but that's not enough that's basically probably what i'm trying to say so yes actually it's all that we put in the hard work and grabbing opportunities taking risks is necessary what i was what i think is it's it's never sufficient and you need a, that little extra dose of of luck and advocacy and everything from outside which is what makes it then a complete journey i agree with you and I understand that you have dedicated a lot of time to teaching business leaders, students on the art of self-fulfilling life purpose. I would like to hear a bit more what does that mean and what is actually the ikigai philosophy and how can we practice it in our personal and professional lives. Okay, so teaching is a big word. I'm just a student who started my own journey on discovering various aspects of ikigai. So when I when I did my career pivot a couple of years ago and went on a sabbatical I was very fortunate to cross paths with uh, Professor Hasegawa who's a modern day expert on on ikigai. He's based in Japan. He's dedicated more than 20 years of his life researching ikigai. So I'm learning from his research. I'm also discovering from my own experiences and then the more I talk to lots of people you start to see patterns emerge. So what i do is share that back but what professor hasega and i have done is sort of try to create a framework which we call ikigai 365 to help people understand and embrace their own ikigai journeys so the most important tenet for us is that it's not a destination it's a journey so you don't go in search of your own ikigai there's no such thing right uh, practicing ikigai as a concept evolved from clinical psychology so it's a very robust area and everything in that tells you that it's a personal journey but it's still a journey and everybody is on their own journey of course like every journey you can break it down into sort of milestones and destinations along the way from one step to another it's like planning a trip except this is the life trip right so you you take it as it comes but the whole concept is around how do you help rejuvenate yourself every day how do you help rebalance things every day and then over time every day how do you rewire some of the fundamental wirings that we all are brought up in and for each of us it's a different rebalancing a different way of rejuvenating and a different way of rewiring so i guess this is not just career philosophy but this is in general something that we can use throughout our whole life and what is the kind of in the middle of ikigai do you try to find your passion or do you try to find something that makes the world a better place i'm not that familiar with it so would be curious to hear a bit more about what makes ikigai so special 
The concept of Ikiga is, first of all, not unique. Yeah, it's there in pretty much every culture. It's called different things. Every almost every culture has the same concept because, like you said, it's more to do with life and every. It's there, been there for hundreds of thousands of years, trying to discover life and discover the purpose of life and live it to its full potential. What I think the work on on Ikigai has shown is, uh, and because I lived in Japan, I sort of understand it slightly, is that it flows from our own daily experiences. And it, it's really own and daily experiences, right? Uh, so it's not something that you go looking for answers and what Ikigai 365, what we try to do is make sure it's very authentic and practical. So the core research that Professor Hasegawa has done on Ikigai that I have understood and embraced is, is really around the fact that we are forever going to be surrounded by various stimulus that come from both outside and from inside. Yeah, So external stimulus and things that go on in our minds. Equally, you're always going to be feeling stuff. We all as human beings will always feel stuff. The challenge or or the trick, however you want to look at it, is to actually get in tune with both of these as frequently as possible. So think about it. The concept of being in the here and now, everybody knows. But more than 90, 95, 99% of the time, we are not in the here and now. We're either rehearsing the future or regurgitating the past, right? And so the more you can rebalance to try and increase the amount of time you're in the here and now, the greater the chance that you'll tune into the stimulus, either externally or internally, and you'll acknowledge the feelings that you're feeling. And that's just the constant ability to be in the here and now and recognize stimulus and recognize feelings and then make whatever little course corrections that, that are right for you is really about being on your Ikigai journey versus being on an autopilot all the time. This is very true. Sometimes, for example, with myself, I feel like, okay, in five years, when I achieve a certain goal, I'm going to be happy or I'm going to be satisfied with my career, with my life. And then when I actually achieve that goal, I look back and realize that it's not the actual achievement of a certain life goal makes you happy, but rather the actual journey of going there and small milestones, little wins, little sort of failures on the way that make you feel good about yourself and that make you feel satisfied. This is something I personally been working on quite a lot, being here and now rather than reminiscing the past or thinking about the future, just like you said. And we live in a world where we have the always own culture, whether it's our personal lives or at work. How do you think Ikigai can help us with work-life balance? Well, that's a very deep question. I think what I would say is, if I go back to the Ikigai 365 framework, right, the way we think about it and we like to share is at the most fundamental level, which is the most foundational level, rejuvenation is about healing rather than fixing. So to your point, we live in a world where we look for quick fixes on everything, which is quick, but it's not necessarily healing stuff, which is deeper. And so rejuvenation is all about healing. And the best form of healing every day is actually sleeping. So are you getting enough sleep? Enough research goes around the world to tell us that and depending on which research you believe that seven to eight hours of sleep is needed every day. Now, and some days you might get lesser, but if you keep stringing days and days and weeks and weeks of that, then you're not healing enough. You're not giving the body at, or your mind or even at a cell level enough healing, right? So that's the foundational form of healing uh, versus fixing. 
When we talk about rebalancing, we talk about how we are in a busy world, a competitive world. And so we like to call it, you find your own balance, but do it at what we call my pace rather than getting stuck in the rat race. And it's not to mean abandon the rat race. I like to jovially say that at the end of the rat race, we're all still rats. <laughs> uh, so just make sure you have, you from time to time, go at, take the time to sort of calibrate it and go at my pace, because otherwise you're just in the autopilot of the rat race. And that to me forms the basis for finding your own work life for the wonderful word balance, but that's your own. It's not somebody else's. And the way to do it is actually how you start valuing whatever it is that you're dedicating your time to. If you value everything in time and money terms, it's one way of doing it. Taken to an extreme, that's how a lot of people value everything and success. But if you can add in a way of valuing it in terms of the impact you're having and the energy it gives you, then you start rebalancing the way you define success. And that then contributes to better work-life balance. Rejuvenate and rebalance. I think this is a much better concept to approach work-life balance because I think sometimes we tend to look at it on a sort of very superficial level. Oh, I need to work 95 in order to have a good work-life balance, but that does not necessarily mean you're going to be happier, healthier. It's about, as you said, the impact that we make and how we feel about ourselves in a way rather than the number of hours that we work or the number of hours that we rest. And if I may just build on that, right? A lot of people say this is great conceptually, but then how do we do it? Which is why then we say, okay, let's take it to one level higher, right? So great, you get sleep, but how do you rejuvenate throughout the day? And if you think about it, Everything that hits you throughout the day, whether that's your planned or unplanned, and whether you're alone or with others, whether that's your family or colleagues or even on commute, are all stimulus. And as long as that is giving you energy and stimulating you, whether that's social rituals, daily exercise, listening to music, whatever that may be, it's a very individual mix, right? That actually rejuvenates. As long as it is something that is uplifting you versus feeling like a burden or a chore, that's actually helping in rejuvenation because you get pleasure out of it. And yeah, you're not doing it because you're expected to do it or you're forced to do it. Equally on the rebalance side of things, how do you divide your life? We all play different roles every day, right? Spouse, child, colleague, boss, subordinate, etc. You can choose as many roles as you want to play. But How much of each role are you playing? And at the broadest level, there's professional life and personal life. How do you rebalance that in a way, day in, day out, week in, week out, that makes you feel like you've got the right balance? And not everybody is able to rebalance everything at the right micro level every single day. But from time to time, you have to take stock and go, are you in the right balance? And when the congruence is there, you can actually feel it. And this is the concept of Ikigai. When when you're living your own congruence, you can feel it. You may be so busy, but you won't feel you're busy. That's when you know you're on your Ikigai journey in, for most part in the right way. 
I'm very fascinated by this concept. And for example, I tend to walk to work every day while, while I'm in the office and it's a one hour walk to the office and a one hour back. And I get this question all the time, like, why don't you just take a tube? Like it's so much quicker, but that's one of my personal ways to recharge before work and after work. And even if it's raining, that just makes me so happy. So. You're right. Just small things that make us feel rejuvenated, not whatever the self-development book says, but it's what we find for ourselves that makes a difference. There's always a price to pay. It's just when you choose what quote price you're paying, it's not a price anymore, right? From Viewed from someone else's eyes it might feel like a price because it's inefficient but from your point of view you're not paying a price you're doing it because you love doing it it's not and so that's the point of and that eventually gets into rewiring which is the third part of our framework i want to talk about career success as well because you've had a very successful career and you worked in many different geographies with different companies products and I'm just curious to hear as well, how should we approach defining our personal success? As you said, for many people, that could mean a high paying job. For the others, means spending a lot of time with the family or maybe having a lot of free time to do hobbies, something that they enjoy doing. So it has a very different meaning for everyone. What does success mean to you and how can we find our own definition of success, if that makes sense. Sure. So so one thing, I wish I had known this in my early stages of my career, but what no one told me and I now know looking back is the definition of career success changes over time. At any point in time, you have a view of a destination which you define as success. But if you can layer in the everydayness of enjoying the journey, that makes for great success because then you're actually enjoying the journey and headed towards your destination. For me, for many, many years, success was defined as running a business, running a large, complex business. And so as soon as I got into my career, I was very clearly on the path of, I want to be able to learn a lot, contribute a lot, but eventually get to a stage where I was running a business. Now, when I got there about eight odd years ago, it was great because it feels great when you achieve some a dream and you get, it was one of the most satisfying part of my last few years, right? But then again, it changes over time because, and this is what's led me to create a career coaching framework to help people saying, first of all, you have to define what your career looks like. And if you want to define it in time terms, it's about a 20, 25 year lifespan. Yeah. But for someone who's starting their career today, like your generation, you're going to have two to three careers if you choose to, right? And so when you think of it that way, it's very liberating because you can have your first go and then you can then build a second career and then a third career. And then within that, in four to five year or four to six year buckets, you essentially need big change. It's just reality for most human beings. We get bored after four, five, six years of doing basically similar locations, similar industries, similar kind of work, and we need major change. So you just basically string together two to three year assignments or jobs or roles, and that's all you're committing to. So we, we shouldn't be worrying about 
am I headed on the in the right direction in the right path? You just enjoy those two to three or jobs and assignments that you pick. So for me, that's exactly how my career unfolded. I'm able to articulate this because that's how I look at it in hindsight. But the key was actually every two to three years making a shift. Sometimes it's a risky shift. Sometimes it was a disappointing shift because I had to trade off stuff. But in the end, each of those two to three years giving your best. That's all you can do and learning a lot. And it's through the ups and downs that the career gets created. It is a very refreshing thought to think about career in smaller assignments, as you said, because when I personally think about career, I think, oh, it's going to be, as you said, 25, 30 years. But it's less stressful to think about it in terms that I can actually make a change and I can make a pivot in three to five years and change something if I'm not happy with whatever I'm doing at the moment. And what do you think? Money is a topic that we tend to avoid in conversations. So no one, if I'm being asked, oh, how much money you're making, or if someone says, oh, actually, I define success by how much money I make. And people tend to think, well, are you sure? Is that really the case? In reality, we all, of course, think about how much money we're making and whether job is high paying enough for what we think we should be making. So do you think it's right to define your success by how much money you make? Or is that at the end of the day going to make you unsatisfied because it's never enough? So I think over time you realize that If what you had yesterday is not enough, what you'll have tomorrow is also not going to be enough. But that said, that as philosophical as it may be, the reality is we all live in a world where you need to earn enough for your needs, right? And probably save a little for the future, right? Each individual makes different choices on how to manage their finances. I think over over the long term, it's and enough research has shown it that if you can live within your means, you generally end up in a good place. I think the challenges start when it's the other way around, right? So I was very lucky because right from the very first paycheck, I was taught to save and save and therefore invest. And that has greatly benefited because, again, enough research in the world goes around to teach us the power of compounding, right? So that's the money side of it. In the end, I think between money and titles and promotions, if I go back to the rebalancing part of the Ikigai Foundation, That's one aspect, right? But very quickly, what starts catching on is the professional side of impact and energy, but also life evolves, right? So as life stages evolve, you have a spouse, you have kids. And so all that starts intertwining in in your own career story and how you define success. And so, yes, money is important, but over time, I I would wish that everyone also starts weaving in life happening and, you know, Uh, life stages evolving as career stages evolve. Money is important, but what is even more meaningful, I guess, is to have a purpose. And you have 25 plus years of experience across multiple sectors and cultures. You worked in Japan, you work in Singapore, you work in India, quite different cultures. What do you think working in different countries actually taught you? What are the lessons that's a great question because, and I always laugh because the first time when I moved from India to Japan after being brought up in India, it was like uprooting a tree and which is struggling to find its roots. Yeah, but but one thing that 
moving from an Indian culture to a Japanese culture taught me early on in my career was patience and humility and a very important lesson. But over time, I've had the good fortune of working with pretty much most cultures around the world and most nationalities. And it's, it's a wonderful thing. So the one thing I have learned over all these years working across cultures is everybody is human. And if we can look at that common ground, nobody can take away from us when we work across cultures because everyone's human. Everyone's hardworking. Everyone's hungry to succeed in their own way. Each one can define success differently. Everyone's proud of their heritage, right? And therefore, if we can, when you look at it that way, it's a fascinating thing because every conversation can help us get the best out of each other if we approach it that way. And I think that's been my biggest learning working across cultures. Again, it's a wonderful experience to be able to go early in careers to other cultures. And if you have the opportunity, I would recommend taking it and then approach it with a essential philosophy of you're not better than anyone, but no one's better than you. And then everyone's human and then everything else just works out. What some of the practical tips for working across cultures would you like before you move to another country, for example, when you moved from India to Japan, did you do any research on how are things done, for example, there in a business context? Unfortunately, when I moved back in those days, we didn't live in this technology connected world. So we didn't have a lot of resources. But I would say two things. One is the language, because language is, a, is the number one deepest rooted, but also the most obvious reflection of any culture, right? So trying to learn the language gives a very good window into appreciating and and showing respect for any culture, even if it's just good morning and good evening. Yeah. And the second is just literally knowing that when you're in a different culture, it's their culture, not your culture. And you've got to respect that versus come and say that this is the way I'm used to doing things, right? That's the sort of approach that always succeeds in any culture because essentially you go in and you're showing respect and trying to not necessarily blend in, but trying to actually say, listen, I acknowledge that this is your way of doing things. I'm, I'm going to try to fit in. At least that's that's something that has worked for me and, and I see work for a lot of people. Uh, those would be my tips. Beyond that, travel around, get out of the office, eat the local foods, meet the local people, which a lot of people do. But I think deep down, we need to acknowledge the fact that you're in someone else's home. And so you've got to follow the rules of that home, not try and impose your rules. Having an open mind, that's probably the best way to approach it, because then you're going to be able to learn and absorb a lot more than just, as you said, being stuck in your own sort of way of doing things. Absolutely. And as you mentioned, you have a child and in a work context, it is very exciting, but a little terrifying because you need to figure out how to actually take uh, the parental leave or manage someone who is doing it. And from my colleagues, I know it can add an extra wrinkle for sure. And how did you effectively manage for your paternity leave? Because I believe your wife is a successful businesswoman and she is a CEO for Coca-Cola in Asia. So how did you manage to find that balance? Who is taking a paternal leave when and what was the best way to plan for it? Oh boy, at the start of this 
at the foundation of all this is the concept of a dual career. So my wife and I have both built their our own careers, but we've built it in a way knowing that neither one career is more important than the other, and we wanted both to maximize our potential. So we've, in the process, both realized and made sacrifices or trade-offs, but that's part of the deal, right? So that both can maximize potential. Now, our daughter was born when we were in Japan and when we were still very early stages of our career. And for my wife, it was like, please come back in six months because that's the maximum we can keep the job role open for you while you're on mat leave. And we, as a couple, didn't want to send our daughter to daycare till she was at least a year old. So it was actually not planned. It was impulsive where I one fine day decided, okay, then let me take six months off. And I still remember going and telling my boss who literally almost fell off his chair saying, that's not a concept I've heard. And remember, this was back in 2005, so 15 years ago. And so luckily... I can imagine for a paternity leave, six months, that was unheard of. Yeah. So long story short, luckily, I was granted and uh, I always tease my wife that I got the better six months, but it was a lovely experience. And I still believe to this day that it made me a better father, better husband, better marketer, better business person, just more empathetic because you realize what a tough life it is when you're nurturing a newborn at home. And But yeah, in fact, I also started writing a blog, but it lasted all of three days because that's how hard it is. <laughs> uh, but it was good fun. <laughs> I really hope employers will realize the importance of granting a shared paternity leave. And I know some countries are more advanced with that, but I think it's very fortunate that your employer has granted you that ability to take some time off to take care of the child. And I do think that employers should start, well, we're on the right trajectory that it's very common now to take a shared paternity leave. So I only hope this will all keep getting better and more fair for both parents. I'm also very interested to hear what was your biggest career setback and what did you learn from it? Did you have any big failures or more like smaller setbacks? So lots of small mishaps. I think maybe it's just the way I'm wired, but I think I do not see anything like a major setback or failure, right? And I, I realized that over time, it just became a self-fulfilling prophecy because as long as you can define success broadly and not define failure narrowly, like nothing is the end of the world. Yeah, nothing is permanent. Yeah, and of course, yes, the, the share of disappointments, share of frustrations, share of embarrassments, share of poor performing years maybe, yeah, but that's fine. That's part of day-to-day. What I think has helped me, and I was very fortunate to have very early in the right bosses and the right environment to guide me through this, which is as long as you're doing the right thing, giving your best, right, and sleeping well, knowing that you have no burden on your conscience, you can. it's very hard to have career setbacks because you're essentially giving your best and then going back again the next day and trying to give your best again. And yeah, sometimes things don't go your way. Sometimes somebody else gets promoted earlier. Sometimes you got to, you have a project that has blown up and has failed, but that's all part and parcel of life and careers. I agree with you. And I do have a couple of fun questions, if you're ready. <laughs> and my very first one is, how do you think people would communicate in the perfect world? Would that be via email, via phone, or we wouldn't have any tech at all? Face-to-face. -face. 
because other human communication is more than just what people hear and right it's also what people see and how people feel and so personally i think while technology has helped and it's great not perfect but in a world where communication is not misunderstood there has to be emotions that are also communicated and they're best communicated face to face so either technology with video or actually face to face communication that's the part that we should be mindful of it's great to be on zoom for 10 hours a day but sometimes it's also nice to see people face to face and that's what really builds the social capital and allows you to get to know people on a more deeper level meaning that it's easier to work together but i'd like to also see in those face to face communications people being themselves every individual being comfortable being themselves i think we still have a long way to go to get there where everybody is trying to figure out what's the right way to behave i think it would be so much better and easier if everybody could be themselves not hurt anyone else definitely not intentionally but even unintentionally and then it's very liberating if you can communicate that way what makes you feel inspired or like your best self are there anything that you do daily that makes you feel wow this is great So for me the answer is very simple it is helping others and more importantly helping others succeed it's always been something that i knew sort of somewhere deep down drove me but it's really been reinforced since i pivoted in my career and now that i have a portfolio i think the whole portfolio is wired to one give back and second help people in different forms achieve their full potential so for me what what really drives inspires is the ability to have impact and but in a way that's actually helping others succeed and if i may add one of the things is i've always practiced in a strange way leading from behind which is actually a very strange concept yeah but it's it's i think now that i realize it's because actually what drives me and inspires me is to help others succeed so i i rather stand at the back and help support stop people if they're walking off a cliff kick them if they're not moving along fast enough but really basically having people's back and watching their back and help them succeed. Thank you very much, Chief. I really do think that our listeners learned a lot in today's episode and I'm going to share more about Ikigai365 on LinkedIn, so please do check that because I think this is a very fascinating concept. Chief, thank you so much for taking the time. I really do appreciate it. Thank you Anna for having me. I loved the conversation and all the very best. Keep doing what you're doing. Thank you, Chef. Thank you.